young liberals don't like Joe Biden. His approval rating among young voters is atrocious. The enthusiasm to get rid of him is very high. And so he's basically rolling the dice on sending them a $10,000 check and seeing if that helps. I mean, that's, that's really all that's going on here. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome back to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm your roundtable host, Joe Arnold. I'm so pleased to be back and seeing everybody again. Jared Crawford is behind the dials. Kevin Grouch, Sean Southard, Scott Jennings still in New York. He is an expatriate of Kentucky as he is spending every day on the CNN set talking about things like a epic rant on student loan forgiveness. We also have uh, my questions, though, for you guys on, on tonight's rapid fire, or I should say not tonight, but this week's edition, rapid fire of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm here watching in, mid, in Flyover Country, and I'm seeing mainstream media right now, gas prices on the way down. The president's approval ratings are on the way up. Midterms are tilting toward Democrats. The whole world is changing before our eyes. Scott Jennings, how does that match reality in flyover country? Uh, good to be with you, Joe. Glad to see that you're, uh, you're intent on chasing away every single listener of this podcast. I think that's uh, <laughs> what, we, what we rely upon you for. So I appreciate your, appreciate this your viewpoint. This podcast um, is called Flyover <laughs> Country. And um, the whole point of it is, is that it's, it's, it's the juxtaposition of the middle America with what we're hearing everywhere else. I'm teeing it up for you. This is batting <laughs> practice and you're Albert Pujols. Well, it depends on whether you're throwing righty or, or lefty at me. I um, No, I actually think that depending on your point of view, depending on your jurisdiction and depending on the race you're running, things could look quite differently. I mean, uh, I think, um, uh, I still think the winds are blowing in the Republicans' direction for the U.S. House. I tend to agree with the forecasters that it's basically a 50-50 Senate being run in a bunch of purple states. Um, I do think there are some uh, Democrat senators who are um, on the clock uh, in this cycle that no one's talking about in Colorado and in, in Washington State. Uh, but I also think there are some Republican Senate candidates who are who are also on the clock in terms of the need to get their own campaigns together. Um, so, um, look, Joe Biden's approval rating still sitting in the you know low 40s. I think Barack Obama and 2010 was sitting at 44 and they lost 60 something seats. I don't think the Republicans are going to do that well in the house because they already picked up a bunch of seats in the last cycle. Um, the gas price thing I find amusing. It's still far beyond what it was a year ago. I mean, if you gained a hundred pounds over the last year and then lost 10 pounds, you'd still be you know, 90 pounds overweight. <laughs> I mean, this wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be totally happy about that, but that's sort of the, the main white house argument when it comes to, gas prices. And their argument on inflation is just nonsensical. I mean, Joe Biden, a couple of weeks ago, uh, made an announcement that inflation is now zero. Well, that's just ludicrous. It was eight and a half percent over last year. If anybody's been to the grocery store in flower country, they know darn well that inflation is not zero. So I actually think a lot of the narrative in the press is built on a bunch of dishonesty, uh, dishonesty about inflation, dishonesty about the legislation they're passing, uh, a bunch of bad faith arguments. Uh, regarding the student loan bailout that they're making now uh, to bludgeon Republicans with who are pushing back against this lawless president. So, um, I, you know, I think this happens every election. Uh, 
Democrats and people who help Democrats in the media uh, try to construct the best possible argument for Democrats and the worst possible argument for Republicans. It usually happens after Labor Day. This year it's happening a little bit before Labor Day. And, you know, this is what it's like to run Republican campaigns in this country. You know, you're fighting, fighting on multiple fronts. I'm curious of everyone's perspective on this. Kevin, I'll go with you first. In terms of the media narrative and the reality on the ground, and to what extent does one, I guess, influence the other? Do, do you think that there's so much of a disconnect here that people in middle America and flyover country disregard what they're hearing as far as that spin that Scott's describing? Or do you think it actually has an effect? Yeah, this is just like when, when Joe Biden gets up and talks about all the Nobel laureates that he's friends with and that he talks to. And they're like, ah, the economy's fine. But, you know... Y- you go to the grocery store and you've never paid this much for ground beef before the economy doesn't feel fine. And yeah, gas prices may come down from record highs, but they're still too high. So the, these like poultry things are getting better. It also reminds me of, you know, when Joe Biden saved us 16 cents on the 4th of July or something, they're trying to chalk up wins on the board when the American people, and especially those in flyover country just aren't actually feeling them. And so they're definitely not believing the spin. From Gallup, by the way, today, after hitting a record low in July, the president's job approval rating is up six percentage points. 44% is his highest in a year. Still underwater overall, with 53% of Americans disapproving of his job performance. But the movement, if you're a Democrat, is in the right direction for, for President Biden. So, Scott, on the we've already debated uh, several times and talked about on this show I want to get to Sean here too as well. I'm going to start with Sean, actually. We've already talked about student loans uh, and forgiveness, the concept of that in terms of what we're, our, our thoughts are on that. Our opinions on the issue aside, strictly as a political matter and a tactical matter 11 weeks before the midterm election, does this move the needle on the important independence that Joe Biden did and the Democrats need to win back and get on their side? I think I saw some polling today which showed that the independent might not be a fan of this in the way that it's been rolled out. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that you have Democrat Senate candidates in Ohio and in other states, some of these swing states, uh, attacking uh, President Biden's plan, saying this is not the way that it should go. I think it should be kind of an indicator uh, for where not only independents may be on this, but also some some Democrats. And so uh, I think that this issue is going to be a problem. They can't even tell you how much this plan is going to cost. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw our, you know, one of our favorites, the White House press secretary today, uh, ha- holding a holding a, a press conference. And uh, once again, I mean, you know, every single time she holds a press conference, she can't answer any questions. But this one today was pretty awful. Uh, she uh, said multiple times that well, we, we don't really know how much this is going to cost. And, uh, and they're like, well, how how do you know that you're going to be able to pay for this? If you don't know how much it's going to cost. And she's like, well, I mean, the Treasury's running some numbers. We'll get back to you on it. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and I just think this was kind of one of those things. They they rushed to do it uh, so that they could check the box right here before the mid. Her, her message today was, we're doing this responsibly. We, we, the adults in the room, are very responsible about this. Does anybody believe that anymore from these people? Yeah. This, this, this announcement was made when it was made because there's an election coming. If they thought this was right and proper and legal, they would have done it on day one. It is true. Joe Biden campaigned on it, 
which by the way, is not an excuse for being able to do lawless things, which this is quite lawless. Uh, but one of the main democratic talking points has been, well, he campaigned on it, he's fulfilling a promise. So if he was talking about this all through 2020, you have to ask yourself, why did it take him until August of 2022 to pull the trigger? Because they, they've seen the same polling that we have over the last few months, which shows young liberals don't like Joe Biden. His approval rating among young voters is atrocious. The enthusiasm to get rid of him is very high. And so he's basically rolling the dice on sending them a $10,000 check and seeing if that helps. I mean, that's that's really all that's going on here. Uh, and so, and they're willing, I mean, they're, they're willing to break norms. They're willing to break laws, in my opinion, and the constitution to do it. That's how partisan and how desperate they really are. The Gallup poll, by the way, Joe, that you referenced with his of job approval up to 44, the number one issue in the election is the economy. His approval on the economy is 31% versus 67 who disapprove. And so if you're a Republican on the issue that matters, the issue you should be focused on, the economy, inflation, uh, and, and everything about your own economic situation, Biden is still, still so far underwater. So if you can stay focused on that, that's a good thing. Of course, Biden wants to focus on everything but that. And it's understandable because the worst possible turf to be fighting on uh, is, is the economic turf, which Republicans ought to own uh, in this election. That, that goes no matter where, where you're running your race. Jared Crawford. Yeah, Joe, you asked the question of, of the impact that this could potentially have on, on the midterms. I think there's actually maybe a world in which they could have done this much better and it could have maybe had a positive impact for Democrats, but this is such bad policy. It's so rash. The, the numbers and the limits are so arbitrary. It's, it's the, possibly the worst way you could have attacked the student debt issue, which is, you know, as Democrats have, you know, consistently said is a popular issue. But I think this policy is so bad that even people who wanted something to be done are going to look at this and be like, this is either not enough or does nothing to, you know, uh, help college costs long term. It's going to do nothing to help my friend who just started school or my friend who just paid off their last loan. I mean, it's such bad policy that I think there's a lot of people in flyover country who maybe were concerned, you know, have a son or daughter going to school, but uh, about to start school, but look at this policy and just see it for what it is. And it's just a, a ploy, like Scott said, a $10,000 giveaway uh, to, to try to buy some votes. And I think they're going to see through that. And, and, let's, and, let's, and, let's, and let's remember, Scott, Scott by the way, this, yeah. Yeah, th this policy is supposed, to, uh, is supposed to be helping supposedly people in need. Now, there'll be households making up to a quarter of a million dollars that get this relief. Uh, there are also going to be people who on paper today, and, and I saw Catherine Rampell from the Washington Post, who's a liberal economist that I don't usually agree with, but she was making an excellent point uh, last night that there are people who on paper, according to their tax returns right now, are going to look like they make no money and have student debt. But these are people who are on the verge of getting medical degrees, legal degrees, business degrees from prestigious universities, which means next year they're going to be making massive amounts of money with more than enough capacity to pay off their own obligations. Yet Joe Biden is sending them a check. And her point was 
there was just an absolute failure of creativity in terms of targeting here. But that's because Joe Biden didn't want to target it. Those are exactly the people <laughs> that they intended to try to snare uh, with a payoff before this election. And to Jared's point, there was no thought given, none whatsoever, to reforming the underlying system, which I think there is some broad agreement on out there, is broken, absolutely broken. And I read a, an economic analysis today that said uh, within five years, uh, it's, the, the estimate was it was going to cost about 500 uh, billion to do this. And then within about five years, we were going to be back to overall 1.6 trillion in overall uh, student debt, which is exactly the number today. So we're going to do a giveaway today to all these people who aren't going to have to pay off the obligations that they agreed to pay off. And then in five years, we're going to be right back where we started without having done a single reform to the system. So if you're thinking about public policy, you would think, well, what are we getting for our money? And according to this analysis, we're getting literally nothing. Joe Biden thinks he's getting some political benefit, but society and you know the overall system, it, we're literally getting nothing for this. And we'll find ourselves right back where we are within five years. John. Well, I mean, I just would quote Jason Furman, the former Barack Obama White House economist who said today, this is adding billions of dollars to the inflationary fire that's already going on. I mean, we have liberals and progressives out here who are probably pro, you know, finding a way to fix the student loan debt problem that are saying this is not the right time to do that. So last week or two weeks ago, they passed this so-called Inflation Reduction Act. And this week, they, they pour gasoline on the inflation fire. I mean, it, it, it's a mess. It's interesting. It's, it's interesting, Sean, that whenever something major like this happens, you can almost always discern immediately where people are going to line up. You know, the usual partisan suspects are going to line up. But in this case, there was wide bipartisan agreement that this was terrible. You had the editorial board of the Washington Post and the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, which never agree on anything, essentially writing the same immediate reaction. This is terrible policy. You had purple state Senate Democrats like Cortez Masto in Nevada and Bennett in Colorado uh, immediately panning this as an idea. And so for all, but, but back to our earlier conversation, the media narrative was immediately to praise this. This is amazing. What, you know, that was kind of the, but then, but then all of a sudden you started to see Democrats uh, aligned with Republicans calling out the policy failure here. Furman, you mentioned Larry Summers was another uh, who said this was a uh, not good policy. And so I, uh, you know, once again, I, I think they're taking a big swing. that's uh, purely political and hoping it works out, but they really have just, decided to damn the torpedoes when it comes to worrying about the policy implications of their decisions, which, you know, I mean, this doesn't even get into the moral hazard of, you know, what are we teaching people that you can take out obligations and not have to meet the, you know, you can take out debts and have to meet your obligations. I mean, we've already done it on the rent moratorium, which by the way, Donald Trump started, it was a terrible idea then. And Joe Biden uh, tried to extend, finally the Supreme Court got rid of it. 
Uh, and uh, now we're doing it on this. I mean, we're, we're teaching a whole bunch of people that you can take out these debts and eventually, eventually somebody will come along okay. and absolve you of it. But, but the merits of this debate aside, going back again to my original question for each of you rapid fire, is this a negative plus or negative minus for Democrat midterm? I still think a net negative. Um, you know, the people that Joe Biden most wanted to pat him on the back for this policy, the far left, the young people Scott was talking about, they're not happy either. They wanted, you know, $10,000, not enough. So they wanted 20, 50, 100,000. So I think uh, nobody's happy here. Student loan forgiveness, Sean, net positive or net negative for Democrats midterm prospects. Well, I hate to just be, you know, singing here in a choir, but uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's going to be negative. And I think it's you see moderate Democrat Senate candidates going out there trying to say that this is a bad thing and he shouldn't have done it. And I think that's the biggest uh, alarm bell that should be ringing for them on this issue. Jared Crawford. Yeah, I'll echo what Sean said. I think uh, Democrats in competitive races, their reaction to this tells you pretty much everything you need to know about it. On top of that, like I said, I think it's bad policy. I think there could have been a way to do this that may have produced positive results, but this is bad policy, so I don't see it having a, a positive I watch local. I watch local news because I'm a former local news person, and the local news coverage of this that I've seen pretty uniformly is positive, is, is going and finding people who, A, either themselves are benefiting from it in the short term, or B, they find people who, even though they, and they say, I don't know if they, if, if, if it's a, I'm not saying it's a, it's a conspiracy because these are different stations that I've seen do the same story, which is even though I won't personally benefit from this, I'm glad because the other people after me will, because it was so hard for me. So I, well, of I'm, course, I'm, of, I'm, well, 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 but yeah. of course it's a, I mean, of course it's a conspiracy. I mean, it may, it may not be like an organized conspiracy, but, but of course, I mean, this is what, this is what we've come to expect. Uh, and I, I mean, if you look, it, it would not be hard to find somebody in a community somewhere who would be willing to say something like, well, I just wrote the last tuition check for my child. So do I get my money back? Right. Of course I don't. Or I just graduated from college and I work 60 hours a week while going to class and put my, I chose not to go into debt. Do I get my time and money back? Or how about a veteran? who served in Iraq or Afghanistan and was injured and they had signed up because they wanted to go to college on the GI bill. You could easily find these people. But to your point, Joe, nobody tries. Nobody tries. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is that? And this is ultimately why Republicans have a major problem with big chunks of the media today, because nobody even attempts to find somebody that has a very legitimate, valid, and widespread point of view. And so is it a conspiracy? Maybe that's not the right word, but it's certainly intentional. I mean, does anybody on here disagree with that? Because it, it would not be hard to find somebody who could say any of the things I just laid out. Jared? Yeah, I'll also add that it feels like they're sort of like blind to the actual issue. Scott was on with uh, Maria Cardona. Uh, it will, will be two days from now. And they did a whole segment laying out uh, – the issue with uh, race here that 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 African Americans sort of disproportionately are impacted by uh, student debt, and so ten thousand dollars per person actually ends up being inequitable. But they're championing this as this like cause for equity, and so they're like sort of blind to even the reality of the situation. 
because they just see it as, as like helping their cause. And so again, to be sort of conspiratorial, they just don't care. But I guess, so my ultimate, uh, you know, thinking is that if, 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 the, if overall the coverage is that this is a net positive for the people who need it most, I think that has an effect. And I think it could, in fact, be a net positive for Democrats uh, this midterm. So I'll be, once again, the exception to the unanimity that otherwise exists on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm your roundtable host, Joe Arnold. And of course, I'm, I'm somewhat of a broken record, Scott, when it comes to my questions about a lot of these issues that are certainly important. But, you know, I always wonder about, will it still be important come election time? And the one thing we've been talking about since this podcast began, because it was going on before this podcast started, is the pandemic. Uh, several of us were at the, a, a historic, a, a, the, a tradition in Kentucky, which is the Kentucky Farm Bureau's country hand on Thursday morning, that really draws, it's really a, it's a unique uh, experience. Uh, uh, Senator McConnell, Mitch McConnell, he, he compared it this morning, uh, on Thursday morning, to the State of the Union, because it's one of the rare places where you're going to have people of both parties in the same room and t- saying big things. Uh, the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, a Democrat, and you have both Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, of course, two prominent Republicans uh, in the room, among others. And what, what I'm t- talking about here is for is the issue of the pandemic. And it seems to me that, that the biggest contrast to be drawn today is what we heard about the pandemic. And so I'll start with anybody, anyone who was there this morning. Kevin, I'll start with you. Uh, I know that you were there. Uh, This this goes back to my question again. I always ask is, will people remember? It seems to me the the Republicans I heard today, they very much believe that voters will remember in November uh, what happened a couple of years ago when the pandemic restrictions first were put in place. Uh, yeah, I think they will. I think they'll remember the the bad times. But I, I the message I heard from Republicans today was not um, that that much backward looking at the pandemic. I, it is notable that Andy Bashir, the Democrat governor of Kentucky, got up and said, it's so great to see everybody again. So great to be back in person after COVID. Well, 1,500 of us were in person last year, Governor Bashir. You were the only one who didn't show up. Uh, so I think he he's still thinking in that mindset and taking his post-COVID uh, victory lap. But um, the rest of us, I think, there, there was a lot of other things to talk about, a lot of other things on the agenda that were not COVID. Jared? Um, Joe, they don't have to think back two years because kids in the largest school district in this state are still wearing masks. They, they don't have to think back to the beginning of these days or the draconian policies. These things are still happening today. Uh, and on top of that, you know, he got called an, an imbecile today. I mean, you know, Fauci is still doing these media tours, acting like he was the, the patron saint of all of this. And so I think people are still going to remember because you know, that imbecile is still getting in front of a camera and, you know, thumbing his nose at us and kids are still going to school in mass. So I, I, I think people are still very much engaged on this issue. I think, I think Senator Rand Paul called the, I, I, my memory is he was referring to the local school board as imbeciles, but I, that's the way I inferred that at least. Scott, is this still, a good, or, let me start with Sean first. Is this still a, an issue for the midterms? Do you think this fall? I mean, again, this is, these are things that we, since, COVID, we've had certainly the, the abortion decision of Roe, v, Roe being overturned. We've had 
record inflation. We have student loan forgiveness. We have we have Trump and and, and all that Trump brings to the table. So, are how long are people's memories when it comes to the pandemic and pandemic restrictions? Well, I think when people have you know state troopers sent to their churches to write down their license plates while they're trying to work, worship on Easter Sunday. Uh, and all the other things that have already been talked about. I mean, I think that they all get for, like emblazoned in your mind when you can't go to have a funeral for uh, your grandmom or your your grandfather and you see people in other places having those sorts of things. I mean, I think that those are things you carry with you for the rest of your life, uh, not only, you know, for the next three or four months here as we head towards the midterm election. Uh, you know, I think that I think people are going to remember more about today's country farm, uh, the, the Farm Bureau country ham breakfast is that the governor sat there and lectured everybody for, you know, gave a sermon for another 20 minutes like he did last year. Um, and then the mayor of Louisville stood up there and lectured everybody uh, about how he felt about things and, you know, how our traditional conservative values are uh, bigoted and, and all of that. And I think that I think that didn't go over well. Uh, you saw that the governor did not get a standing ovation after he uh, finished his speech today. Uh, everyone else did. Every other speaker did. Uh, Rand, McConnell, and Ryan all got uh, standing ovations before and after. And so, I mean, look, I mean, they're out of touch. They, you know, I think this is the first time the governor was in a room where uh, he was outnumbered in terms of the people that uh, disagreed with him because uh, he's so, such a scaredy cat. Uh uh, so, I mean, I think that these issues matter. I think that they will continue to matter uh, because there's just things that are going to be blazing in people's minds going forward. Got it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll keep my answer short. I, I think this is a very, very low frequency issue for voters right now. I do think there are parents who are still struggling with the school shutdowns uh, in the form of learning loss from their children in the form of um, just, you know, we're getting back to school now and still kind of sorting out how far behind is my child. They know who shut down the schools. They know who uh, kept the schools closed. Um, and so I, I do think that'll be on the minds of people. But but again, I, you know, I hate to be a broken record on this. Any poll will tell you front and center, top issue, no question. It's inflation. It's the economy. Uh, I mean, these are by far the most dominant issues. I mean, most of the country, a majority of Americans think we're in a recession. And so th that's what they feel. I mean, that is their lived experience. And when you feel that economic anxiety, um, you know, you're looking for somebody to blame and, uh, and you're wondering why decisions are being made. I mean, I'll just say if, if you've made, let's take your, your average small, small contractor, somebody that doesn't have a college degree, but somebody who did invest their own time and money, maybe they took out a loan to open a small business. And you're feeling the economic anxiety of the day. Maybe you think we are in a recession. Maybe you, maybe your, you know, inflation is causing people to cut back on hiring your services, whatever business you happen to be in. Joe Biden's not sending you a check. Joe Biden's not doing a darn thing for you. They are sending checks to people who are about to make uh, massive amounts of money as uh, professionals, white collar professionals with graduate degrees. But your plumbing business or your contracting business or, you know, whatever little business you you've worked to build, they're not. They're not helping you. And so I do think there's a tie, Joe, between the economic anxieties of the day, inflation, uh, and this student loan decision, in that there's a whole bunch of people that are going to resent 
deeply resent what Joe Biden has done here. And I'll just close with this. It's hard to measure, but I do think there's something to Biden having run as someone who was going to unite the country and bring people together and not and not, you know, keep keep uh, a divisive president of the White House. That was his whole campaign. And I can't think of anything that's more divisive or create more resentment than what they've done here. And and on top of that, tonight, as we're recording here on, on a Thursday night, you know, he's out giving a speech calling 74 million Americans fascists because they voted for Donald Trump in the last election. I mean, this is not this is not a unifier. This is not somebody who has any interest in uplifting or unifying the American people. In fact, it's somebody who wants to drive deep divisions and resentment, which we don't need any more of in this country. Breaking down Senate races this week. State of Washington and this new ad. Hi, I'm Tiffany Smiley. Patty Murray has spent millions to paint me as an extremist. I'm pro-life, but I oppose a federal abortion ban. She shows you this picture of me and Trump, but doesn't show you this one, or mention I was there fighting for veterans' health care. What's extreme? 30 years in the Senate and nothing to show for it. Patty Murray wants to scare you. I want to serve you. I'm Tiffany Smiley, and I approve this message. All right, Scott, that's Tiffany Smiley. Is this the right way for Republicans to take on the uh, being painted as extremists on abortion? Well, it's certainly the right way for Tiffany Smiley to be campaigning in Washington state. And what I like about this ad is that Smiley is just uh, unwilling uh, to let uh, the Democratic incumbent out there, uh, Murray, uh, paint her as uh, an extremist when she's obviously an extremely reasonable, approachable, uh, normal person. And so I like I like Smiley right to camera. She's excellent on TV. I think her story, if you look into her story, it's going to really, really resonate with the people of Washington State. I've had this on my, as you all know, I've had this on my sleeper list all year because of how impressive I think Smiley is. I think on issues like this, abortion or any other sort of hot button cultural issue, I think it's incumbent upon Republicans not to allow themselves to be painted into positions that they may not hold. And look what uh, the Republican O'Day is doing in in Colorado. He's doing the same thing. Even this week, Blake Masters released an ad on abortion explaining some of his values on the topic. So I do think Democrats are trying to paint with a broad brush here. And I think these individual campaigns, especially in the Senate races, are smart to say, well, uh, I'm, I'm not here to answer for everybody else. I'm here to answer for myself. And here's my story. Here are my values. And, uh, and I'm telling you straight to camera, here's how I feel. I think that goes a long way in blunting uh, what Democrats are going to try to do to all Republicans. Even tonight, Joe Biden, as we're recording this on, on Thursday night, Joe Biden gave a speech and said, if, if Republicans take over the United States Congress, there will instantly be a national ban on all abortions, period, everywhere. I mean, it is the most bald-faced lie. It is the most dishonest garbage coming out of the mouth of the president of the United States. But that's what they've got, dishonesty and absolute lies. And so I like watching these Republicans stand up to that kind of garbage. And I, I think people want to hear directly from candidates on this. So to Tiffany Smiley, good job. We'll be watching you and cheering you on this fall. I just want to double back on one other Senate race, and then we're going to wrap this up, guys. But Scott, back to you, because I'm just, I, I, I did drive across the state of Pennsylvania twice since the last time we spoke. And so I, I am paying a little bit more attention to the Oz-Fetterman race. And it, it seems to be, 
I, the, I guess the health issue for Fetterman is is being uh, you know being amplified right now. Scott, do you think this is if you're a campaign manager for Fetterman uh, in this situation, who of course suffered a stroke a couple months ago and he's been back on the trail, but has not really been that public and he hasn't uh, he's not agreeing to a debate. What what do you do in this situation? Well, I mean, ultimately he's being protected. I mean, we went through like several days of a news cycle uh, making fun of Dr. Oz about some dumb video he made at the grocery store in April. And the whole reason that was in the news was because they're literally trying to just come up with something else to distract from the fact that Fetterman is incapable of publicly communicating right now. I mean, he has obviously a serious health issue. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they've had to make a couple of speeches extremely rough. And look, I, I'm not I'm not denigrating the guy. He had a very, very bad health episode, a very, very real health scare. But he's obviously not fully back yet. And so the Democrats here are are desperately trying to get Pennsylvania voters to think about focus on anything, no matter how stupid or petty. I, to me, it's a legit question that ought to be uh, discovered. I mean, you, you don't send people to the U.S. Senate. Uh, just to sit there and just cast votes and, and, you know, just be a rubber stamp. I mean, you shouldn't, I mean, I know that's what some people do when they get there, but you shouldn't be doing that. You have to assume you're going to be sending someone who's energetic, independent thinking and, and capable of like fully engaging on the issues. That, that's a, that's a part of any campaign. So to me, it's fair game. I guess if I were in Fetterman's shoes, I'd be trying to hide him too. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I, I just, I can't believe that this won't be an issue that gets fully investigated. Kevin, I don't know what you think, but I, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a topic that has to be discussed. Right. Especially after in 2020, we elected a president who never left his basement. I think people you know, saw that type of campaign and really it left a bad taste in their mouth because now all that we're doing is talking about low energy Joe Biden. So uh, especially in a purple state like Pennsylvania, I think they want to see the candidate actually be able to perform as a candidate and then maybe as a, a member of the United States Senate. So, um, yeah, I, I think, Scott, you're right on that. They're, they're, they're going to need to see a little bit more of Fetterman and um, the Oz campaign is right to make this an issue. That's Kevin Grout. Thanks to Jared Crawford, Kevin, Sean Southern. Scott, take us home. Any other thoughts before we wrap it up for this week's edition of Flyover Country? Well, I mean, uh, with Joe Biden out on the uh, campaign uh, trail this week and sort of fully opening up on, on, uh, uh, Trump and fully opening up on, um, you know, calling all Republicans fascists. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's we're not quite at Labor Day yet, but it certainly feels like uh, we've hit the we've hit our stride for this midterm. So I'm looking for a very uh, energetic midterm, a lot of robust discussions on the podcast. We'll keep ticking through the Senate races and seeing how it develops. And that's going to be quite a quite an exciting stretch drive. here. And that's great to be back. Thanks for welcoming me back to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.